You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. Good morning, everybody. Uh, we, in this, created for connection. That's, uh, that's actually, there's a lot right in that, that statement, because you, you created for each other. Um, and... You, you would think that when you're created to, to connect to somebody that you would treat them well in, in order for them to treat you well. But as you know, being human, we don't think that well um, all the time. There's a manifesto that's on the wall when you come in and it says that everyone is welcome. Nobody is perfect and anything is possible. That is what we aspire to in this community. That's what we aspire to. That is what we want to be our essence, our truth. And um, as we continue to move forward as a community, we, we, we really want to embody that because you see, um, Jesus lived a life of inclusion. He, he lived a ministry of inclusion. Okay, and we, we need to be a people of inclusion, but then that gets messy, doesn't it? That gets that where whoa, whoa, hold it. What, what, what? Like, where do you draw the line? Why do we have to be so inclusive? We're trying to live this out. We come here to lift up the name of Jesus, and we're saying everybody is welcome. That's not easy. When you live in a culture that is so diverse on so many levels. And yet we believe that God's love is big enough and his grace is big enough to give us wisdom, to know how we can do that. Because if our biggest challenge is the fact that you came from a church that has a different flavor than we do, then we don't have any problems. But some of you have walked in here and... and, and in terms of your sexual orientation, even your sexual identity, there's diversity in the room. There's diversity in the room when it comes to ethnicity. There's diversity in the room. We're all different. And yet I believe that there's, the fact is that I believe that we all belong together. And I might suggest that that, those three things would be incredible guiding principles for you as an individual or for you and your family? What would it be like if you painted on your garage door, everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, anything is possible? What would you open yourself to? What kind of neighbors would show up going, "Um, I'm looking for a friend, I'm lonely. What would that look like? What if you tattooed it on your forehead What would people think of you? It would be difficult to live that out. But I believe it's worth, uh, it's, it's, it's worthy of pursuing. And let me just be bold and, 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 and open in saying that we have failed at that at times. People have come here and they didn't feel like they belonged. I mean, relationship is a two-way street. I recognize that. But there have been those that have come and, and, and they didn't fit. They weren't embraced. 
Nobody said, come and hang out with us. And they left and they got hurt and we hurt them. We failed. But that doesn't mean it isn't worth pursuing. It doesn't mean that we should ever give up on making that, embodying that truth um, because it's our truth. It's funny because um, is your way of being, the way you flow, the way you function, the way you carry yourself in a given day, is it saying to people that you work with, that you're safe and that they're welcome, that you're open to them? And do you know where that begins? It begins not with your faith, but with your face. Did you know your face um, is what tells the world that you're open for business? Now, we can't arrest whatever. I don't know what my, 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 my rest face <laughs> can be really, um, um, But... There has to be something in your countenance that says to somebody, you know what? I'm available for you if you want to talk. Eye contact. I'm available. Hello. How are you? It's your face that, 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 that says to the world, listen, listen, uh, you, you know what? I'm, I'm safe. I'm open. I'm accessible. It's how you let people know that everyone is welcome. I think, I think Mother Teresa was right when she diagnosed the world's ills by saying, basically, I think that we just forgot that we belong to each other. I think we forgot that we belong to each other. In John chapter 17, Jesus is about to ascend to the Father. And he has this prayer, and it's a big prayer. It's a powerful prayer. It's his farewell prayer, you know, as he leaves the disciples, you know, from, from the planet in his person. In, in, in his person. And, 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 and he, he says this, he said uh, in verse 23, he says, Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me. And I'm thinking, whoa, whoa, what great mission is he about to call us to that he gave us the Father's glory. He gave us the Father's spirit. He gave us the Father's essence. What world-shattering mission is he about to send us on that he would give us the Father's glory? Father, he said, I've given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I've given them the divine presence that you gave me so that they would belong together the way we belong together. Now that passage means an awful lot more than that. But there's something about a community that, 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 that belongs together that is so attractive the world has to pay attention. It's absolutely irresistible. And Jesus, he, he, he prays this over us even today. Oh, Father, 
I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they would belong together, that they would learn how to belong to each other, that they would go into their neighborhoods and they would go into their communities and they would find a way to belong to each other. I've given you them my love and my, or your love and your presence so that they can love beyond themselves so they can belong together. He invites us into the slow work of kinship. And it is not a, hey, how you doing? Hey, God bless you. And then you move on. I'm talking about something that sometimes takes decades to nurture. It takes years to nurture. I'm talking about something that, 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 that where there is a steady investment in people's lives, a steady, safe place for them to be. And I think that we belong to each other begins when you can imagine a circle of compassion. And then you can imagine that nobody stands outside of that circle of compassion. And that you find somebody who's alone and you simply stand with that person. You simply become present to that person and you become sanctuary for them. And at some point in time, you, you empower them to go back and be present and provide sanctuary for their children and their spouses. And we become sanctuary for one another when we, when we without judgment, embrace one another until we can see the intrinsic beauty in that person. But if you meet people and you've got the them and us mindset, it's always them and us. For, if you, you know what? You, you are basically disqualified from seeing their intrinsic beauty. There is no them. It's only us. He so loved the world. And when you stop long enough to suspend judgment and be present with someone until you can see their intrinsic beauty, then you have, as a, as a believer, the privilege of, of mirroring back to them the heart of God. Mirroring back to them the heart of God. And then you watch them walk away and you watch them embrace that truth. You watch them inhabit that truth. And it is a beautiful thing to participate in. When I was um, 23 years old, I moved away from the church that I was raised in. I moved away from the church of my birth. I moved away from a church where I was related one way or the other to every person in the congregation. And, and I moved to a church that, that housed a, a Bible school that I wanted to attend. And so when I left, I honestly, it was like leaving the flock and my church prayed for me and they blessed me and they cried and it's all, you know, and then I, I, I walk into a community that is so strange, even denomination. I went from a Baptist church to a charismatic church. Why do you have monkey bars in your church? Like, why, what is all of this? Like, it is just, it was a different culture, man. It was a different, the liturgy looked different. The, the music, everything was different. 
And I was on the outside. I didn't know anybody. Now, I, I'm an extrovert, so I'll talk to anything that'll stand still long enough. And so it isn't hard for me to get to know, but I was breaking into a brand new, and I, and I was bringing, you see, see, see I, I, I was bringing with me, uh, carrying inside of myself a tremendous amount of personal failure and shame. But all these people didn't know anything about my awkward journey through adolescence. They didn't know anything. All the people I left, they knew it all. This is a brand new start. This is a fresh start. I remember the first time I lifted my hands when I worshiped. First time I ever did. I'm a Baptist, man. That's why God made pockets for worship. You know, you just keep them. And, and I, this, this actually happened. I'm, I'm, I'm finally been in this church for a little while and you know, I'm kind of, you know, you know, palms up down here somewhere. You know, this uh, Baptist 101, you know, you don't really put it out there, you know. But the one time I decided to just go all out and love Jesus with all my arms, you know. And then of all days, somebody from my old church shows up and see that I have fully converted. And I, I'm just like, I'm, I'm never coming back. And there was this guy about my age, his name's Kelly. And he could see that I was alone. And he said, hey, you wanna come hang out with us? And he introduced me to his herd, to his tribe, to his group of people. And, 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 and then I go back the next Sunday and I don't know anybody else and I, there's that group and I kinda know them so I go hang out with them and nobody else is inviting me out so I keep hanging out with this group of people. And they don't know all of this stuff, so they, they start treating me like I'm really quite wonderful. Like they actually think I'm way smarter than I am. <laughs> and I remember, and this was about six, maybe seven months after I kind of made the shift into this new community, and we went out after church, and it was like a beautiful summer night. It was probably midnight. And I left my car at the parking lot, and so Kelly drove me back to my car. And, and we, we, we were just sitting on the hood of my dad's 1972 Buick LeSabre. This entire congregation could sit on the hood of my, my dad's 1972 Buick LeSabre. The thing was a boat. It was just enormous. And so Kelly and I are just hanging out and talking about life on the hood of the, of the Buick. And then Kelly says something. He says, you know, I really, really believe that God put you on this planet to be an influencer. And he said, because you're really inspiring. Whoa. I walk into a brand new community and I meet somebody that doesn't know me for more than a half a year. And on the Buick that day, he introduced him. He introduced me to myself. He introduced me to someone that I, I couldn't see because I was carrying so much shame and so much failure. Oh, I wanted to see that person. And when he saw me and he introduced me to me, I saw me and here I am 37 years later and I am still inhabiting that truth because that is my truth. And he saw it before I did. And that experience is proof to me that one 
person that can suspend judgment and look for beauty in another person can indeed change the world. One person. And maybe that's why Jesus said this. He said, this is my command. You know what that means? You can fumble a lot of things that Jesus said, but this one, you never drop this ball. You never fumble this one because it's that important. He said, this is my command. Love each other as I have loved you. You see, God, he put you in a world of people that are different than you are. And they smell different and they think different and they look different and they, they're, they got different dysfunction than you do, but so they're different. And he didn't put you in that world so you could sit in your righteousness and judge them. He put you in their world so that you could become sanctuary for them. Because you're not qualified to judge anyone. Did you know that? You're just not. You know why? It's because, because you only have one perspective. And that's yours. You're blind. In so many ways you're blind, you cannot see. And yet we're so quick to judge but you can't see what another person's motives are. You can't see what they carry in themselves, the pain, the wounding, the history they carry in their souls that affects their behavior. And sometimes they behave brokenly and you just simply judge them as if they were wicked when in fact they're just weak. So stop judging. You're not very good at it. You're not qualified for it. Jesus didn't put us here to judge. It's funny, recently I saw how one human being, one human being who ventilates the world with grace and compassion can actually literally change the world. His name's Colin. I met Colin when he was a young adult. He's quiet, he's funny. Goofy, really inappropriate. Um, and he was trying to win the heart of one of my best friend's daughters. And my best friend that I'm talking about, this is a very Christian family, if you know what I mean, like Christian family, like <laughs> Christian family, right? And, um, and the problem is that Colin had a real tough run with addiction in his teens. And he'd experienced some real low, low times, right? But he, he, true to his own sense of truth and calling and purpose, he, he had gone back to school, become a counselor. Even when he finished his, the program and he, and he got through recovery, he stayed with the program and stayed on as a sponsor. And then he became a counselor, and then he became a psychologist, and then he became the director of the same program that gave him freedom. And that's where he'd worked. And then he moved on to do some other stuff in the oil patch a little bit later in his life. But he was an incredible man. 
And I say was because four weeks ago he died. He's 40 years old. And, and he's, you know, he's fit. He's a hockey player. He just died at 11 o'clock at night. His heart just stopped beating and he died. And he left behind the, the girl of his dreams, his wife, and two little boys, five and seven. Went to Calgary for the funeral and that's when I really met Colin. The place was packed. There were over 1,500 people crammed into a church. The overflow was full. The foyer was full. They were spilled out of the church. And it's like minus a million in Calgary and people stuck around, even if they had to wait outside. And I thought, how does this quiet young guy, how does how do 1,500 people even know who he is? How did he have that kind of an impact? And then I learned that he, he had a mission and that was to become sanctuary for the person that was in front of him just the way Dr. Voss had been sanctuary for him. And he did it one person at a time. It's incredible to, to, to his way, the, the way Colin had. I was so impressed with him. He, he didn't have an expansive theology. He just knew his relationship with God, with God was important because it's one of the keys to his own recovery. And so it became kind of a way that he never relapsed, but then he realized that it was, it was, it was one of his great joys. And so he learned to be present with God he was forced to be present with himself and honest with himself because of his own journey. And then as a counselor, he was intentional about being totally present with the one person that was sitting in front of him. The, 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 the funeral went on for three hours. The people, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people posted on Facebook. You know what, Colin, this is what they said. He, he, he never, ever stopped believing in me even when I stopped believing in me. And that was over and over and over. They said he was a true friend. And, and here we're talking about some pretty rough characters who stood up at his funeral and said he was the best person I ever knew. How do you have that kind of impact? Is it possible that, that God's healing presence is released through our lives when the very three things, the simple three things that, that, that Colin embodied are the three most important things for us to embody? Is it possible that presence is released when we know how to be present with ourselves? This is not easy. Number two, to be present with God and then to be intentionally present with the people that walk into our lives. You see, we tend to live in such a distracted way, don't you think? If I was the devil, I'd just make you busy. If I was the devil, I'd just go, oh, oh, hey, say yes way too many times. Go ahead, do it again. Say yes again. And then start running. And start running. And you chase your tail and you chase your tail. And you, and you get up in the morning and you, you have no time 
to be present with yourself. No time to be present, God. And God knows you don't have time for people and you become utterly disqualified from hosting presence that could be so healing for the people that are looking for sanctuary. I love how in John chapter five, if you read that whole passage, you, 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 you see how Jesus, it speaks of Christ's sensitivity and responsiveness to the rhythms of God. Life is happening. Some people love him. Some people hate him. You know what? Some, he's got followers that are tied in, locked in, other followers that are bad-mouthing him. He's got all this going on, and somehow he is still so consistent with God's rhythm. And yet throughout the Gospels, we see that he has this incredible capacity to be fully present with the person in front of him. He said, I can do nothing of myself. I only do what I see the Father doing. You see, I believe that if you give God an attuned and obedient heart, he will give you his tangible presence. And you get to take it everywhere you go. You get to take it to people that believe like you do and people that don't. You get to take it to people that like you and people that don't. You get to walk into a world and you shift space with the presence of God. Being present with yourself, being present with God, being present with each other. Uh, in, in the late 90s, so um, Mar Marcy, my wife and I, were making some big decisions. We were coming to a crossroads and we had to choose and I don't know about you, but the more I pray, sometimes the more confused I get. You know, because I, I'm kind of ins inserting my own wants and confusion into my prayer. And so then I just hear that God is just as confused as I am when I pray too much. And, um, and so, so I'm praying and praying and praying. And most of our praying is out of fear and desperation. And so... Yeah, nothing. And, um, and then I heard that there was this prophetic conference here in Kelowna. We were living in Calgary at the time. And so we thought, well, you know, maybe a room full of prophets could help us. And so we, we go to this prophetic conference here in Kelowna. And, and, you know, we just weren't feeling it. Nothing. We were there for the first night. And then we were there for the better part of the second or the first full day. And I said, I got to get out of here. I just got to go. And my wife and I got up to leave. We're just going to go home, go back to Calgary. This was a bad idea. We um, were walking out of the building when into the building comes a guy that I knew, a, a pastor who'd had me speak at his church before, uh, Paul Bertig, if any of you know Paul. Um, just, uh, just a sweetheart of a guy. And he walks in, and so we kind of say hello in the doorway and then um, and I, I was on a mission to get out of town and go home. And, um, and so he, he comes into the building and my wife and I are leaving and we're just about at the car when he says, hey, I can hear him calling us. He goes, stop. Hey guys, he goes, and he's got just the soft, gentlest person. He goes, hey guys, uh, can I pray for you? And I'm going, yeah, okay, well, sure. You know, maybe your prayers aren't as confusing as mine. And so we, he, he just put his hands on my shoulder and Marcy's shoulder. And, and, and I think, I don't know if his prayer was so comforting or if it's his voice. Just the gentlest voice. And I just like hearing him talk. 
And so I'm just kind of tuned into his voice and he prayed for us and, and, and we left and really was un, uneventful. And we're driving back home and we didn't get the answer we came for. I wanted God to say, go left or go right, but we didn't get that answer. But as we're driving out of town, both my wife and I realized we had, we were so at peace. Something had just happened. Something just happened. We didn't get the answer, but we got the peace of God. Before we got back to Calgary, we had made the decision so easily because, because our hearts were set. See, he imparted presence to us. Bill Johnson said that every act of obedience releases presence. Do you imagine that? Walking into a pretty contentious meeting at work, walking into difficult situations, and they don't even know that you're packing. <laughs> you're loaded, man. You're packing with presence. And you just bring it with you. The Holy Spirit becomes manifest in the atmosphere when we obey him. But in order to obey him, you have to be present with him. And then you got to watch two annoyed people walk out of a meeting and actually care enough about them to follow them. I've never even phoned him or told him how impacting that moment was. I didn't even remember the whole moment until I was trying to come up with an illustration and then I remembered it, and I thought, wow, that was really, really beautiful. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. Mother Teresa said this, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. And the greater the love, the greater the release of presence. The greater the release of presence. You see, that's really what sanctuary is all about. It's not your words. It's, it's the love with which you step into a moment. I'll tell you one more story and then I'm done. So 1981 was the great and terrible year of the Lord for me. I was 21 years old. And it was the best year of my life up until that point. That's probably right at the top of the top 10 years of my life. And um, it, was, it was the best year of my life because I, I was a nerd. And... Um, and uh, when I was 15, I, I covertly started taking voice lessons. And, um, and it was opera. We, I sang, we, we, took, we only sang opera with my voice teacher. And so I took voice lessons. I know, right? Like, you know what? And, and, and uh, I, I took voice lessons for five years. And um, in, in the little church that I was in, I was a rock star, an operatic rock star. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, they, they called me queen-ish, um, you know, <laughs> Eddie Mercury, you know, like that's what I was going for, right? Uh, no, not really. Um, but anyway, um, in my church, I was a pretty good, a pretty good singer. And so and in 1981, I got picked uh, by the North American Baptist Conference to be one of eight vocalists that toured North America for 10 months uh, singing. And so... And so I got to do something I had been dreaming of. I'd been a house painter and a construction worker, and now I, I got to do something really cool. That's why it was a great year. The reason it was a terrible year was the first year that I had experienced clinical depression. 
It was the first year that I had experienced debilitating anxiety attacks, debilitating insomnia. And I, I didn't even know what the name of it was. I didn't have a doctor. I didn't have medication. I, I, just, I just had a lot of internal pain. And, and I think that the whole team knew that I was in pain, just they didn't know how to touch it. I didn't know how to articulate it. But there was this guy, his name was Harold. And somehow he wasn't afraid of my pain. We, we, we would bill it. We were in cities all over the United States, all over Canada. And when we go into a city, we would stay and people would open their homes to us and we, we would stay in their homes until we finished in that city. And I didn't even know he was doing it. I just thought it was a coincidence that Harold and I keep billeting together. But he made it his business to make sure that whenever possible, he would bill it with me. And I, I remember so many nights that, that he'd wake up out of a dead sleep at three in the morning and, and, and find out if I had slept or not. And if I hadn't slept, he would turn the light on and go, you want to talk? I'd be sitting at the bus in my, in my lostness and no, I'm a real killjoy. I mean, you know, for any, any good card game or any, any good conversation, but he would always come and sit beside me at the bus and, and just sit there. He didn't have to talk. He was just present. Probably the hardest year of my life, and I'm 59. In the hardest year of my life, God sent a quiet angel to me to be present with me, to be a healing presence with me. And love is above everything else, the gift of oneself. And he gave himself just to be with me just to get me through that year. And when I got through that year, my life changed dramatically, but I needed someone to be there for that year. You see, when you walk into the world with a belief that everybody belongs to you, everybody belongs, then you position yourself to be an expression of presence for everyone. And that's really important because at the end of the day, it is not the duration of your life that really, really matters. What changes the world is the donation of your life. Amen. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for me. This is uh, easy. This is, I, I said in the talk, I said it's a slow work of kinship. That's exactly what it is. This isn't something you just... You snap your fingers, you buy somebody coffee and it's done. Man, it's just being a human being over and over and over to the people that he brings into your life over and over. When we stand together. Father, we um, are so thankful that you, you gave us the glory that the Father gave you. You gave us your presence. You gave us your love. You gave us authority. You gave us power. You gave us... And Father, it's so that we can belong together. We can belong to each other. Help us to grow in the experience of that in our lives. Help us, Father, to mirror back to the people in our worlds 
in a way that they can hear your heart for them, in a way that they can appropriate your delight of them. Help us people to be people that slow down enough to, to and, and t- teach us, Jesus, what it means to, to learn how to be present with ourselves, to be present with you and to be present with others. And then anything is possible. Anything can happen. Amen. Thanks for listening to audio from The House. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.